Morning Pathway. Both those of you who are present before us and those who are watching online, we're so delighted that you're here this morning. I love seeing your smiling faces and after service seeing your smiling mask, but it's, you know, that's the world we live in today. Uh, Brenda and I rarely have any major disagreements, but every once in a while there's, there's a subject that is kind of a sore subject, it has to do with clothing. Um, just when my jeans get really broken in and my shorts are really comfortable, she decides it's time for them to go, you know? And uh, I, I've got a pair of khaki pants. They're a little frayed on the cuffs. I've rescued those from the garbage twice uh, already, you know? And, and sometimes she'll go through the, the drawers and pull out things and put them in this plastic bag and I'll ask, what's that? She goes, it's going to the thrift store. So I've learned to look through that bag. And I find all these things I haven't worn for years that are just wonderful. You know, it, it's really hard to, to let go of those things that are familiar and comfortable, right? Uh, someone told me after service last week, they said, you know, the things you're talking about and you're asking us to do are, are really hard. They're, they're difficult. That's true. Change is always hard, isn't it? Uh, we make New Year's resolutions and the average, there's two different surveys. One says it's five days and one says it's seven days. The 70% of us will break those resolutions within that, that period of time. Anybody ever gone on a diet and quit? There's a few, few, few honest folks here. Uh, exercise programs, you start them and you stop them, you know. Uh, for, I've been a runner since I was really young. And uh, I discovered about, as I got older, about 10 12 years ago that treadmills are wonderful because you can watch football and, and be on the treadmill at the same time. And I figured out that by about halftime, you can get in about 10 miles, you know, especially if they have all those commercials, you know, it's kind of an interesting time. So we kind of discovered treadmills and uh, we were visiting a couple from the church and uh, on their porch uh, by their, in their washing machine area, they had this incredible treadmill. I mean, that thing was several thousand dollars. I mean, it was a beauty. And they were using it for clothes hangers. They had all their clothes hung up on the, on the treadmill. Some of you may have some Bowflex machines and bicycles in your garage collecting dust, you know. Most of us have made valiant attempts to change and have failed. And that sometimes leads us to make some wrong conclusions. See, you just can't teach old dogs new tricks. Uh, She'll never change. I told you he'd start drinking again. I knew it was just a matter of time until who they really are comes out again. You know, we, we get those kinds of attitudes because change is really hard. And many times we fail. Uh, these past few weeks as we've been looking at healing choices, we're, we're really talking about change, spiritual change. Uh, a new way of approaching life where we recognize that we are not God, but we also recognize that God exists, that he cares for us, and he has the power to change us. We've also, some of us have made a commitment to surrender control of all of our lives, every piece of our lives, to the power and the process of God over and over. Paul says, I die daily to Christ. Then last week, some of you made a, 
serious spiritual inventory. You wrote down those secret things in your life that you need to talk to God about and to talk to someone else about. These are all steps, healing choices that we make to become the person that God truly wants us to be. And today we come to the fifth step out of eight steps. And the healing choice today is the transformation choice where we give God permission to change us. God, I'm, I'm allowing you to change my life. Listen to what it says in Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. God has placed within us a hunger for him, all of us, whether you're a believer or not. And many times we can't quite identify what that hunger is. And so we, we look at a lot of different things, but many of us have discovered that that hunger in our hearts is that desire for God and his desire and his desire to walk with us and to forgive us and to heal us. You know, that, that's innate within us. But for many people, they just know that there's something missing in their life. About 30 years ago, John Travolta, a young John Travolta, made a movie called Urban Cowboy. And one of the theme songs in that movie was looking for love in all the wrong places. I meet a lot of people looking for love, looking for purpose, looking for meaning in all the wrong places. And Jesus says, when you hunger and thirst for me, I will fill you with my love. And what he's describing here is an attitude that says, God, you're not going to be second, third, or fourth place in my life. You're going to be my first choice in my life. When do we change? Most of us change when life becomes too painful to stay where we are, you know, too uncomfortable, too difficult. And when it becomes really hard, then we change. I never cease to be amazed at husbands and wives who will start coming to church, who will start being nice to each other, who will quit sitting on the couch drinking beer and watching television, who will change all kinds of habits to keep their marriage together because one of them says, I've had it, I'm leaving. But like New Year's resolutions, when the crisis is over, we tend to revert back into the way we used to be. Am I the only one who's ever tried to lose weight before you have your annual physical? Anybody else do that? You know, you know the whole idea of the physical is, is for us to take care of our bodies so that we'll live longer. But I try to impress the doctor. I don't want him to think that I'm in that obese category. You know, they do that BMI. I don't think that thing works, you know, because I, I always come up obese. I don't like it. You know. I'm certain that most of the folks here this morning have heard or at some time said, this time it's really going to be different. This time I really mean it. And they did. And I did. We just couldn't pull it off. We couldn't make it happen. So how do you change? Well, for many of us, we change this way. I'm going to fix it. I'm getting serious. I'm, I'm going to make sure that this works out. I'll work harder. I'll try harder. I'll give more. I'll do more. All those things. Let, 
old Dr. Phil give you that famous statement again, how's that working for you? You know, doesn't last very long. Let's face it, if we could change by sheer willpower and guts and determination, we'd do it. But we can't. That definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result this time. So, if we can't, how we change doesn't work. How does God's way work? How does God want us to change? Well, let's just listen to a, a few passages from His Word. That's always a good place to turn. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Or then in Psalms 9.10 it says, Those who know your name trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. How about Proverbs 16.3 from the wisest man in the world? Commit to the Lord whatever you do. Your dreams, your plans, your hopes. And he will establish your, your plans. Another translation says, he will cause your plans to succeed. But first you have to submit them to him, which means he may change a few of them in your life. Hebrews 11, without faith, no one can please God. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is real and that he rewards those who truly want to find him. The key in all these verses is that change starts with God. It progresses with God and it ends with God. So what do you want to change? Your marriage? Your relationships? Your attitude? Your habits? Your fears? Your heart? We in our humanness tend to focus on the obvious problem. It's the struggle that we're having with our attitude or with drugs or whatever it might be. But the reality is the pain in our life is caused by God. God uses our pain to draw us to Him, to bring us to Him. God never wastes our pain. God loves you too much to leave you where you are. Say that with me. God loves me too much to leave me where I am. Okay. Believe that. It's true. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a pretty cush job. He, he was the taster. He, and it was, a, it was a sweet job when you were uh, the king's cupbearer because you got to go to all the great social events. Anytime the king had a party, you were there. Anytime it was this, some big uh, royal event, you were there. And your job was to eat the wonderful food they provided and to drink all the wine that you wanted. There's one little catch. A lot of people didn't like the king, and so they would try to kill the king. And one of their favorite ways of killing the king was to poison the wine. So the cupbearer's job was to taste the wine first. And if he was still standing after 10 minutes, the king would indulge. But other than that little problem, it was an incredible job. You know, you know, uh, it was considered a very significant position. The cupbearer was one of the most trusted people of the king, you know. So it, it, was, a, it was like a government job. It was a great job. You know, it was a great job. 
Okay, I shouldn't say that. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 1, all of a sudden, Nehemiah becomes aware of something he should have been aware of a lot, a lot earlier, that his hometown, Jerusalem, was in real danger. The protecting wall had been torn down. They were totally vulnerable to any enemy attack. And, and it was heavy on his heart, and he began to formulate this plan. How can, how can I change that? How can I help them? Now, what's really interesting, uh, when Nehemiah becomes desperate, he prays. And, and he, his first step is to talk to God. That's a good thing for all of us. As he begins to have this burden, he takes this burden to God. Now, the burden happens in chapter 1. He comes to the king in chapter 2. The period of time between those two chapters is about five or six months. As you look at those strange-sounding months in those two chapters, it adds up to about five or six months before he actually comes before the king to make his request. Because that's a scary thing. He's got a cush job. This could be bad news. So in chapter 2, verse 4, as he begins ready to, it's finally time, six months have passed, I'm going to talk to the king. I'm ready. Again, he prays. And we learn in step one that throughout the whole process, you'd better pray if you're seeking to change your life and allow God to change your life. And the second step is you got to think big. You know, don't ask God to, you know, take care of something that's not very significant. You want to think big. Nehemiah goes before the king, and he's usually a lighthearted guy, and evidently his countenance has kind of fallen. And the king notices, and he asks in verse 2, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now, everything in Nehemiah's comfortable, predictable world is about to change. He tells the king about Jerusalem and how they're defenseless. Well, the king already knew that. It was his army that destroyed the wall, you know. And so he was totally aware of Jerusalem's situation. And he wanted them to be defenseless because foreign policy of that day was when you destroyed a city, you took down their defenses so they couldn't have a wall and you have to conquer them again. Why do it twice? So they left the conquered cities defenseless. And so basically, Nehemiah is asking the king to change his foreign policy. It's always dangerous to ask the boss to change his policy. Uh, but remember, if you're going to take a risk for God, make it a big risk. Next, Nehemiah asks for some time off to go help rebuild the wall. How long? Well, it's about five miles of wall. I don't know how long it's going to take to get there. We've got to gather materials. We've got to build a house. It could be a few months, maybe a few years. He's not asking for two weeks vacation. He's asking for some time off. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes, and I'm also going to need, and we're going through dangerous territory. I need some uh, protection, so I need an escort to go with me. And, and King, I, I know those forests around there, you own them. I need permission to cut the trees and to build a house and to use the wood to build up the wall. That's a big ask, isn't it? What big ask do you need to make of God this morning? 
Maybe it's to follow through on what you said you were going to do last week, you know, to, to write down my, my secret needs and concerns and sins and to confess them to him and to share with somebody else. Maybe it's to start praying about everything, not just the stuff that's critical in your life. Remember insanity is doing the same thing you've always done and expect a different result. It's not going to happen. And that brings us to the next step. What can we expect from God? What's God going to do if, if I pray about everything, if I have big dreams that I want to share with God, what will he do? If you want a better marriage, will God fix Brenda and help her to become all that she's supposed to be? I'm kidding. You know. <laughs> Brenda's awesome. And uh, sometimes God has to fix me. We can expect God to provide opportunities and resources for us to change. We still have to have the courage to use those opportunities and act on those resources to bring about change. You can come here every week and you can hear from God's Word and you can get some valuable information and take lots of notes. But if you don't use those tools, if you don't take the risk, you'll get the same results you've always gotten. We can not expect this change that we want God to do in our lives to necessarily be instantaneous. Sometimes it is, most often it's not. Sometimes I have people come to me with marriage problems that they've had for 20 years and they want me to fix it in five minutes in the lobby after church. I, I can't do that. And, and you can't do that either. Recovery is a process. Healing is a process. Not a one-time event. It's a process. Sometimes we forget that it takes a while to become what God wants us to be for him to change us. I, I, I love Peter. Poor Peter, he gets, he's the illustration of more sermons than any guy I know. But he's just, so, he's just such a great example of what God can do with a, with a loser. You know, P Peter does everything wrong and he fails. He, he's with Jesus three years. He didn't learn anything. He's still getting it all messed up. He fails at the very most critical moment, uh, you know, as Jesus is facing the cross. He fails, he fails, he fails. And suddenly, you know, Jesus said, you're going to be my rock. And it, it suddenly clicks as he begins to continue to seek to follow Jesus. And he does become the rock. But it wasn't immediate. And it's not immediate with us either. Chuck Negrin was uh, the lead singer for Three Dog Night. I confess that was one of my favorite rock groups, you know. And most of you don't even know what they sang. But uh, he had a lot of uh, gold records. He also was a longtime drug addict. He uh, was in and out of rehab. He ended up on the streets of Los Angeles. He had lost everything. He had hawked all of his guitars, sold all of his uh, plaques and gold records. He found himself weighing 126 pounds and homeless. And he entered rehab for the 100th time. Think about that. He was in rehab 100 times. This time he met Jesus. Well, he had 
talked to Jesus before, but this time he truly met Jesus and he surrendered his mess to God. And God began to transform his life. And this time it, it truly changed. He's now 78 years old, still does those concerts, Joy to the World, and all those other songs, and Christian songs, and talks about the difference that Christ has made. He's 28 years clean and sober. He took a risk, but it was a process. A hundred times, 99 failed, 100th worked. So you said, well, you know, I've tried this God thing before. I've tried letting God direct my life, and it always, you know, try again. Keep on progressing towards God. That's the fourth step. Take the risk. Just wishing your life to be better will not make it so. This is where I find myself in my life. I'm divorced, I'm angry, I'm broke, I'm afraid, I'm sick, I'm bitter, I'm hurt, whatever your deal is. What am I going to do about it? Well, we've already learned you start with prayer. You take it to the Lord. And then we need to learn to think about our situations and about ourselves in ways that motivate us to action. Action-oriented thinking is not saying, is the glass half full or half empty? It's asking, where's the water? I want to find the water. I sometimes struggle with people who only want to talk about the things in their life that are wrong. You know, all the, all the messes that I have and all the circumstances in my life that are a mess. We all have messy lives. I think our faith in Christ teaches us that we don't have to stay where we are. Isn't that good news? You don't have to stay where you are at this moment. In Christ, we become a new creation. I don't care if you're five generations of people who have a real short temper, you know, I'm Italian or whatever it might be, you know. <laughs> Let it go and give it to God. That doesn't mean that God's unable to change how you react in circumstances because He has the power to change your life. Someone has described mundane living, living as a two by four soul with a capacity for eight by 12. Are you living at the level that God wants you to live in your spiritual walk? Dave and Marty, two amazing people, my church in Lexington. Marty was from Czechoslovakia. She came to this country because she married a serviceman. Since she got here, he divorced her. She was an atheist. She didn't just not talk to God. She didn't believe in God. And she went to uh, a country thing to learn how to line dance. Now, some of you from New York don't know how to line dance, but it, it was line dancing, you know. And Dave was a dentist who also was an expert line dancer, and he taught line dancing, and he met Marty. They kind of hit it off a little bit. And he invited her to church. And she said, I'm not interested in going to church. He invited her a second time. He prayed about it. He said, God, if, if you want me to, to continue with this girl, uh, you know, you, something's got to change. So he invited her the third time, and she said, I don't know why. I said, okay. And this is her story. She goes, when I pulled into the parking lot, I started crying. 
when I walked into the sanctuary. I was crying. Through the first and second song, I was crying. By the third song, I was kneeling at the altar and asking God to change my life. And they became awesome people in our church. Amazing. And I invited Dave to to lead a missions trip to Honduras, not knowing it was going to cost me my number one tither and the head of my elder board, because he felt called to become a missionary, so they sold everything and moved to Honduras for two years. And then God continued to speak to their life, and it changed a little bit, God's big picture, plan for their life. So now Dave works about five or six months a year as a dentist, and then he and Marty travel to some of the most dangerous places in the world to share the message of Jesus Christ. It's amazing what God can do with us when we surrender our plans to him and say, God, what's your big picture for my life? So how do you become a risk taker that leads to positive change in your life? You focus on long-term, not short-term goals. Both are important, but, but God's really always concerned with the big picture. Sometimes in marriage counseling, you know, we'll hit upon something that, and an aha moment, and the people will say, yeah, that's what we need to change. And they think they're fixed. No, that's the first step. That's not the end picture of having a wonderful marriage, a loving father, a loving wife, a loving mother. That's, that's the big picture. We need to ask the question, what am I trying to accomplish? Why do I want this change? If the change is because of a big crisis in your life, it'll be a temporary change unless you surrender it more than that. Is it because uh, you desire to, to make your wife happy or you want to make somebody else happy? That will be a short-term thing that you're doing. Or is it because your heart's desire is to become the man or woman that God desires for you to be? When that becomes your desire, then the change is possible. I love what Paul writes. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow obtaining to the resurrection from the dead. You got to have that big picture. Focus on small victories, not perfection. I once had a professor who said his biggest frustration, a Bible professor, he said his biggest frustration with with believers is they'll start out praying, then they'll forget to pray, then they'll get discouraged because they forgot to pray, so they'll quit praying. Other people will start out praying, they'll forget to pray, say, God, I messed up, I want to talk to you again. He goes, who do you think God's more pleased with? The one who said they're going to pray and messed up and quit praying, or the one who said they were going to pray, messed up and started praying again? You know, we are in a progress toward becoming who God wants us to be. We're saved when we're saved, but they were not finished. God's working on our lives. I talk to people about their finances. You know, and the Bible very clearly teaches that everything belongs to God. All that you have and all that I have belongs to Him. But He asked for 10%, you know. And if you're head over heels in debt on credit cards and you got everything hocked in your life and you're saying how do I give 10% of anything you know that's crazy 
you know. So when people are in those kinds of situations, I encourage new believers and people who are trying to do their finances God's way to start with a percentage. You know, if you can't do 10%, what percent can you do? You know, don't give 10 bucks, give a percent. I have a good friend who gives 20% of his income and he's not wealthy at all. Well, he's wealthy, but he's not wealthy in material things. He gives 20 How do you do that? He goes, I started adding a percent every year until I got to where I thought God wanted me to be in my financial life. If you can't trust God with 10%, where can you start? What, what part of your life can you trust God with? And that's not just finances. I think it's your resources, your gifts that you have. You can't expect to immediately change your financial habits. It, it'll take some time, but you've got this big picture of where you want to go. And God will give you time because it's called grace. He gives all of us time to become that person that he wants us to be. But we're still striving toward that higher mark. People who are still dealing with the same spiritual issues in their lives, whatever it might be, the same ones you had 10 years ago, something's wrong. You're not perfect yet, but you should be getting better. You ought to have new sins that you're dealing with, not, not the same old ones over and over. You can't be a lousy father and the next day become a wonderful father. It's a process that you go through, but you have this picture in your mind, I want to be a great dad. We must learn to focus on progress, not just perfection, because perfection really doesn't lead to action very often. In fact, it keeps us. If it's all or nothing, if it's perfect or nothing, it's probably going to be nothing, you know. So why do you set yourself up for failure if you look for, for only for perfection? But if we say, God can change my life, it's a process. And I look back, that's who I used to be. I'm not where I want to be, but I'm a much different person than I used to be. That's the progress of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. I'm not talking about lowering the standards of the Bible. I know some people are probably getting nervous. I'm suggesting that you progress toward God's big goal that he has for your life. Paul, who was incredible, says, I haven't attained it yet, but I press on toward the high calling of God in my life. There needs to be a tenacity in our faith that keeps us plugging along and trusting God to do in our lives what we can never do by ourselves. And that's the fifth step. You can never accomplish lasting change by yourself remember it starts with prayer prayers in the middle of it prayers at the end of it god has to be involved in the entire process but not just god back to our friend nehemiah he gets all the stuff he asked for the time off the escort the lumber but when he arrives he realizes he can't rebuild that wall by himself in verse in chapter 217 he asks the people in jerusalem to join him in rebuilding the wall. God designed our faith walk to be lived in community. We call that community the church. It's a vital part of real change in your life. Not just worship services, but interacting with other believers and learning and growing and mimicking their actions. 
Uh, this is what Philippians 3.17 says. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. Paul's saying to young believers, look around the body and you see people doing it right. Get with them. Talk to them. Learn from them. Grow through them. Let them mentor and help you to become the person you're supposed to be. Surrender your pride and ask for help. Uh, you can leave here today with lots of information. You might have even taken a few notes. Good, truthful stuff. Biblical life-changing information. But it means nothing unless you act on what God has given us. Unless you act on what God has given us. You want to change your life? Start with prayer. Think big. Take the risk. And ask others to help you in the journey. There's two men in my life. Uh, first church I pastored, his name was Lee. The last church I pastored, his name was John. Both these men were in their late 70s when they came to Christ. Been in church a long time, just never had given their hearts to Christ. So I had the privilege of leading them to Christ and baptizing both of these men and watch the change that took place in the last years of their journey. Lee, who was a, kind of a tough old West Virginia guy and uh, kind of had a snarly attitude, he became a different guy. I'd look out my window at the office, and there was Lee out there planting flowers in the hot Florida sun, and he did that for years. All of a sudden, he wanted God's place to look beautiful. And John, who was a farmer and just a good old guy, and everybody assumed he was a Christian, he just wasn't. And all of a sudden, he become, began to show up at our campus, and we had 14 acres, and he would go around, and we had a school and trash everywhere, and he'd be there early in the morning picking up trash. He didn't get paid for it. He just did it. He did it for years. And you say, well, that's not a very big dream. Well, even in your 70s, you can't dream too big, you know? <laughs> he, he was doing something for God. They were doing something for God. This morning... What could God do with your life if you surrendered your dreams to him and allowed him to begin the process of changing you into his image, which is what he wants to do with each of us? Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your amazing grace that allows us not to be perfect all the time, that forgives us for the times that we fail that restores us, that loves us, that walks with us. Today, Lord, give us the courage to begin with prayer and to ask you, what do you want to do with the rest of my life? Doesn't matter if you're 20 or if you're 90, what do you want to do with the rest of my life? Lord, I surrender my dreams to your dreams. And I give you permission to change me. And I want to take the risk. It might be as crazy as what Dave and Marty have done, or it might be what Lee and John did, just to become servants. Whatever it is you want to do with us, Lord, we give you permission because we love you. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
could ever see Worthy of all the praise we could ever bring Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe We live for you Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. There is no one like you, there is none beside you, open up my eyes in wonder, show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those
Love you and thank you so much for this time and your presence this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Go and be blessed, church.